0: Welcome to the first episode of this podcast, The Art and Science of Sound Healing. I'm your host, Thomas Orr Anderson. And this first episode is primarily an introduction to the topic, The Art and Science of Sound Healing. I'm recording from my beautiful mountain cabin up here in Sewanee, Tennessee, deep in the forest, surrounded by trees and waterfalls. And it's a beautiful place to be. You can probably hear my toasty fire roaring in the background, keeping my cabin nice and warm. Um, So the very first thing I want to touch on on this episode is the name of the podcast and the reason for the name. Because the name embodies the fundamental topic, the reason for this podcast existing The art and science of sound healing. So you'll notice there's four primary words in there. Art, science, sound, healing. And by, intrad- by exploring a bit what those words mean in general, we will get to the root of the purpose of this podcast and essentially set the groundwork for everything we'll be exploring First of all, what is art? Um, I'm going to read some dic- definitions from this big, beautiful dictionary that I got as a graduation present from graduate school. It's the Webster's Unabridged Dictionary, the big red one you see in the libraries. Um, the first definition it has of art is the quality, production, expression, or realm according to aesthetic principles of what is beautiful, appealing, or of more than ordinary significance. Let me repeat that. The definition itself is artful. The quality, production, expression, or realm, according to aesthetic principles of what is beautiful, appealing, or of more than ordinary significance. So, before we touch on that any further, I will jump to the definition of science. I've got the first one and the fifth one picked out because they seemed relevant to the discussion. The first one, a branch of knowledge or study dealing with a body of facts or truths systematically arranged and showing the operation of general laws. i read that one more That one more time. A branch of knowledge or study dealing with a body of facts or truths systematically arranged and showing the operation of general laws. That's a beautiful definition. And then the fifth one is knowledge as of facts or principles gained by systematic study. So those two definitions essentially explain, they express what we are going to be exploring and the reason for this in the context of sound healing. Let me jump, before we go into the art and science any further, let me jump to sound and healing rather than using a dictionary definition since I happen to be uh, knowledgeable enough about these topics, sound and healing, that I think I can essentially define them Uh, just off the cuff. Sound. Sound is, in its most basic form, is vibrations in the air, pressure variations in the air, traveling through the air, and then hitting our ears, and then we hear them. There's also, that's the typical version of sound that we think of. There's another version of sound that we don't as often think of which is tactile sound—the sound you feel. So essentially, when you're you know riding the bus or the airplane or a, a trolley or whatnot in a car, and you feel vibrations in your body, that's also sound. That's tactile sound. Sound is a, a little bit tricky in terms of defining because it has the physical definition of waves of pressure variations traveling through the air. Or waves of mechanical oscillations traveling through a substance or some kind of material uh, stress variations. But then sound really is how the human body responds to those vibrations, those variations in the pressure in the air or those mechanical vibrations traveling through an object. So sound isn't just the physical definition of some sort of thing that happens in the universe around us. It's also how we experience the, the those vibrations. So one way of looking at it is that sound is this external objective phenomenon that a physicist can describe with equations and whatnot. And also, sound is a in a subjective experience of the listener. And that difference, that differentiation, will be really crucial to our discussions because. We are here to clarify and to bring depth and uh, more light to shine on the truth of what is happening or what exists in the world of sound healing. So, sound in its two ways—in the objective and subjective—we've touched on. Then, healing. Healing's a little more obvious, uh, even though it. Um, It's quite mysterious the deeper you get into it. But healing essentially being the means, the action by which health is uh, increased. So one is, you know, healed. Healing occurs when one's health increases. Health itself is a little more difficult to define, but we will get into that in great depth uh, with my own talks, and as well as with some special guests that I look forward to hosting on this show. So we touched, we've touched on art, we've touched on science, we've touched on sound healing. So the basic topic itself of this podcast is sound healing, but we are discussing it uh, in the, on the basis of art and science. So back to that definition of art the quality production expression or realm according to aesthetic principles of what is beautiful appealing or more than or of more than ordinary significance quite crucial to that is the word aesthetic and beautiful and appealing aesthetic beautiful appealing those are very very subjective parts of our experience Aesthetic, beauty, the feeling of beauty, the experience of beauty, appealing, uh, more than ordinary significance, all of those are very subjective things you feel, things that someone experiences within themselves, something that can't not be easily or systematically defined, uh, perhaps even inexpressible. So then back to the definition of science. A branch of knowledge or study dealing with a body of facts, underline that word facts, or truths systematically arranged and showing the operation of general laws or knowledge as of facts or principles gained by systematic study. So science is a, an objective realm. Science is a realm that deals with objective facts, things that cannot be uh, argued about necessarily once they are known. Of course, there are arguments in science, but there are things that are not arguable. For example, a simple mathematical problem, you know, 1 plus 1 equals 2. Of course, people can go on to a philosophical debate about the meaning of one and one and two and the meaning of plus and the meaning of equals. However, there is a systematic factual basis to it such that one of the most important parts of science is that somebody could repeat the same math problem somewhere else and get the same answer. And that anybody that knows the basic rules of arithmetic will come out with the same answer. And if someone doesn't come up with the same answer, it's because they don't know the rules. For example, if you're using some kind of software, it's a fact that a certain button causes the software to do a certain function. For example, if the software is obviously running correctly, which we hope it is, Right now as it's recording this podcast. Let me check. Indeed, it seems to be. So it's not really something that is an aesthetic or a feeling. That's science. So science could essentially be thought of as this button on the remote control does this. This button on the remote control does that. And essentially... As we explore the universe around us, you can think of it in a sense, in a, this is an obviously overly simplified sense, but you can think of it like discovering the remote control of the world until we find, oh, this button does this. For example, if you drop a rock off of a tower and there's not much wind and given you know, typical atmospheric conditions, you can, by knowing how tall the tower is, you can predict when the rock will land. Someone can conduct the same experiment on the other side of the planet 100 years later and get precisely the same answer, give or take a little bit, depending on the accuracy of the instruments they use. But it's not, necessarily, it's not fundamentally aesthetic. It's not fundamentally based upon feeling. It's not fundamentally subjective. Science is fundamentally objective. Art, on the other hand, is fundamentally subjective. Art is based upon how you feel, what's beautiful, aesthetics, how something feels to you on the inside, how it affects you in various ways internally. And it's not necessarily something that can be agreed upon by various viewers Say you have a you know a beautiful piece of artwork, a beautiful song, you play it for one person, they find it incredibly beautiful. You play it for another, perhaps they find it not beautiful at all. And no one can say that one person is right or wrong in that matter. And that's what makes it art. Opinion is actually uh, very fundamental to art. Art is an opinionated realm. Although opinions oftentimes are uh, in accord with one another, so that, uh, you know, box cello suites, for example, are so beautiful to so many people, you could almost say that it's fundamentally beautiful. However, there are definitely people that would believe otherwise, and they're allowed to because that's art. <clears throat> but if someone says that two plus two isn't four, Or if someone says that when I drop the rock from the tower, given typical atmospheric conditions, it won't land when the equations say it will land. Then they're not doing science. They're bringing art. They're bringing opinion where opinion is not appropriate. So now we're getting to the fundamental reason for this podcast. The world of sound healing. Sound has been used for all human history on every continent as a fundamental part of healing, on whether it's the shaman's drum or the mantra of the mystic or the prayer or the uh, singing bowls of the, in the Himalayas or the beautiful flute by the river or the shakers of the medicine woman. Whatever it is, there's this vast, ubiquitous quality to the, it, the use of sound is fundamental to the traditional healing arts all around the world. And in the last few hundred years with the advent of modern medicine, with the focus on mechanical principles, with a, uh, a- abandonment largely of uh, the art of healing as as healing has become more science-based the sound the use of sound has simultaneously uh, gone to the background but recently and very fortunately the use of sound in the world of healing is being rejuvenated And it's popping up all over the place. You see people using tuning forks for healing or singing bowls, using all sorts of traditional instruments like didgeridoos and uh, uh, flutes and shakers and rattles and singing and drums, chanting, oming, and also the advent of all sorts of new modern sound technologies like sound tables and... Uh, There's even more exotic types of devices that I won't go into right now, but also sound is emerging into the the medical field uh, in the scientific side, for example, using ultrasound to scan for babies, using ultrasonic waves to shatter kidney stones, and a variety of other uses, brainwave entrainment in order to using uh, brainwave frequencies pulsed through binaural beats to entrain the brain to certain brainwave states. There's a whole variety of ways from both the sort of natural alternative healing realm to the scientific medical field, sound is very clearly moving to the forefront of the healing world. However, as it's doing that, there is a very big challenge occurring and this podcast is primarily designed to address that challenge and the challenge as i've said is contained in the name the art and science of sound healing so what's happening is that people are seeing results from sound healing you can go to a sound therapist, for example. Just type on Google and look for a sound therapist. Call them up, order their CD, go do their session, uh, go to their workshop or whatnot. And lo and behold, you were very, very likely to have some sort of healing results. They might do tuning forks and wave them around you, or they might touch you with tuning forks. They might have you lie on the floor and play gongs and singing bowls they might have you lie on a sound immersion table they might uh, play drums and chant they might play special frequencies for you they might do a whole variety of things and what is happening is that there are very very positive results occurring however Most of the people involved in that sort of alternative holistic healing world of sound healing, most of those people are not very well educated regarding science. They're generally not trained medical practitioners. They're not generally doctors. They are sometimes chiropractors, but generally they are not very well versed in science, particularly and notably and most importantly, not very well versed in the physics of sound and vibration. And so you have this situation where people are having very positive effects. They're having very positive healing results. People's pains are going away. People are having sometimes even miraculous healings. People are having spiritual awakenings. People are having memories come forth and emotional responses that have therapeutic value. There's this endless supply of amazing and beautiful results that are that are being achieved through a variety of sound therapy and sound healing practices. However, there's a trick. Just because it works doesn't mean that the theory proposed to explain it is valid. So people are having all these positive results and they are mostly being obtained by people that are not very thoroughly trained in science. And there has, there, it's created a tension where people want to legitimize it. So there's a variety of authors that have um, written books, there's a lot of people teaching workshops. There's a lot of websites of people essentially trying to scientificate the sound healing. So one very notable example that has had a tremendous effect on the general culture around sound healing is the results uh, from a gentleman named Rife. There was a a an explorer of using electrical frequencies to eradicate um, viruses and kill unwanted bacteria in the body. So in the <clears throat> in the eighties, this man Rife, his uh, his work was rejuvenated and brought to the general public, and basically. I'm not going to get into the history or biography of this man because it's a little off the topic. But basically, he realized that any object in the world that we know of has can be has certain resonant frequencies such that if you expose it to those resonant frequencies, it vibrates very strongly. Say, for example, the most classic example is the crystal glass, the crystal wine glass. And an opera singer, if she sings the primary resonant frequency of that glass, it can get vibrating so strongly that it actually shatters. So essentially, he applied that to the idea of health. The idea being that certain, let's say you have a bacteria or a virus in your body. I don't want to say that you do. Let's imagine some person somewhere has a a virus, a cold virus, for example. Suppose that you knew one of the primary resonant frequencies of that virus uh, cell. And then you injected, you subjected the person that has the virus to that resonant frequency. If the resonant, if it were strong enough if it were vibrated strong enough at its resonant or one of its resonant frequencies, it might explode and die. So potentially, if that resonant frequency, if that frequency weren't um, fundamentally unhealthy to the human body, if it didn't hurt other parts of your body, then you could vibrate somebody at that frequency or pulse that frequency of electricity through them and destroy the virus. He was shut down by the government because he claimed he was curing cancer and whatnot. His work was lost to the past and then it was recovered or revitalized in the 80s in a book called The Cancer... I think it's called The Cancer Cure That Worked. But that's a little beside the point. The point being, his work, that theory, was taken over by the sound healing world and by people that don't really understand the basic principles of it very well, this isn't uh, this isn't by any means a criticism, but it's it's a fact that that idea that you can vibrate the body with a certain frequency and then achieve healthier state by it leaves out the even Rife's basic concept was that you were actually destroying cells. You're actually destroying those cells by vibrating them so strong that it, that it tears them apart, just like a wine glass. So what that's translated to, into in the modern scientificating of sound healing is that it is, has spread as a basic philosophy that every part of the body has a vibrational frequency and that what we need to do as sound therapists is vibrate the body at that frequency of whatever it is you're trying to heal and then by doing so you'll in some way activate that part of the body or rejuvenate it and bring it back in the body back into harmony so there's some real problems with that first of all it's generally proposed by the people that, it, that, that use that theory, which is most people in the sound healing world, is the, the primary problem with it is that, first of all, not, it's not that everything has a resonant frequency. Everything does not have a resonant frequency. Everything has an infinite set of resonant frequencies. That's one problem. So, people, as the sort of foundational principle, they'll say everything has a resonant frequency. But it turns out, and every scientist knows, especially any scientist familiar with the basic physics of vibration, is that everything has a practically infinite set of resonant frequencies. In the case of simple things like uh, guitar strings and Uh, um, the air inside a tube those are are called harmonics and in more complex objects it's called modes but nevertheless whether you're talking about this singing bowl you might even hear it so listen closely and you also hear You can at least hear two quite easily. If I strike it with something harder, I'll strike it with a pencil. You can hear those higher ones. So even something so simple as this singing bowl has... A practically infinite set of resonant frequencies. Some of them are much stronger than others. The ones you could hear through the microphone are the strongest. There's probably three or four of them. But if you analyze it very closely, there's a practically infinite set. And the singing bowl is an extremely simple object compared to the components of our body. Our heart is very complex. Even our cells are complex. Even a uh, human hair is relatively complex. There's so many folds and creases and interconnections. And essentially, the more complex an object is, the more complex the structure of resonant frequencies it has. <clears throat> so the, this idea that everything has a resonant frequency is, is proposed by most people in the sound healing world. And then... They say that since everything has a resonant frequency, every part of your body has a resonant frequency, all you have to do is vibrate your body with the right frequency and you'll have health. So that brings us to the next great difficulty of that theory, which makes it incredibly repulsive automatically to scientists, and, phys- and likely most physicians, is that how do you know what frequency to use? That's a really big question. So let's say I had, a, you know, a cold. What frequency do I use to heal the cold? Well, what somebody does is they look it up on the internet or they look it up in a book anything most of those frequencies that people claim came from works presented by rife but rife only well well a lot of them originally did but rife was focused on actually destroying invasive cells killing cells that you don't want in the body by exploding them, tearing them apart with their resonant frequency. But what you'll see is people will say, this is the resonant frequency of love, or of your heart. This is the frequency of your kidney. This is the frequency of your liver. But then when they they look it up, whoever has that chart of frequencies, they either copied it from someone else or they made it up because we do not currently have the technology to make such measurements. We also don't understand how vibrating, suppose you did know the resonant frequency of your heart, suppose you could, or a resonant frequency of your heart, suppose you could cut out your heart, put it on a vibrating mechanism with some special, uh, you know, special measurement devices, microphones and whatnot, Till you can measure one of its primary resonant frequencies. Now you put it back in your body. Are you sure that playing that resonant frequency, one of those resonant frequencies of your heart, is actually a good idea? Nobody knows. It's far too complex. That's like trying to say, what color is the best color for you today? Somebody can make it up, and they can tell you, and so, first of all, everything doesn't have a resonant frequency. Everything has a practically infinite set of resonant frequencies, except is debatable maybe some very, very special conditions like a vacuum or maybe a black hole or a wormhole or some very exotic part of nature maybe has only one resonant frequency. But those are some you know, cosm- cosmological debates that aren't relevant here. When we're talking about things like the human body, like a bone. Oh, here's a here's another really great example. Imagine you were to take all of my bones. I'm five, seven approximately. Take all of my bones and uh reasonably kind of medium to thick boned. Take all my bones, my skeleton long after I'm gone, and make a xylophone out of it. Now, let's take my friend who's, you know, six four weighs, you know 300 pounds or something. He's a big, big guy. And then you're going to take his bones and make a xylophone out of that. Now, hit those xylophone notes on the bones of each of our bodies. What anybody who has ever played a musical instrument knows is that the bones of the big guy are going to play lower notes than the bones of the smaller guy. That's how it works. And so each of us Every single person has a different shape, a different construction, a different uh, thicknesses of our bones, different, slightly different shapes of our hearts, of our brains, our eyes, our face, our every tissue in our body, every single part of us is much, much different. Of course, when you get down to the cellular level, or not even the cellular, to the molecular level, the molecules in me are essentially identical to the molecules in you. But when you are dealing with the frequency, the resonant frequencies of molecules, you're dealing with frequencies that are far beyond what we can ever create with musical instruments or ever vibrate into your body. Um, the It's a, a different spectrum of frequencies that are molecular. In fact, they're light. They're really ultra high frequencies. So if if we were ever going to actually, you know, work directly with the molecules, we would want to use light, not sound, presumably. Or the sound would just have to be such ultra high frequencies that it doesn't really relate to what we currently call sound therapy. It's not the kind of frequencies that come out of gongs and singing bowls and flutes and through sound tables and whatnot. So we have those issues that are plaguing the world of sound therapy. People are using false pseudo knowledge to support a field of practice that does work. So that's what it that's the extra the big whammy is as I said a little while ago, when you go to a sound therapist or a sound therapy session, even if what they tell you, even if their description, their, their uh, scientification of what they're doing is totally bogus, what you will find is that the effects are real. People really do get better. People really do have health benefits from sound. So, the art and science of sound healing. What I want to do with this podcast is clarify when we are talking about art and when we were talking about science. Of course, there is science in art. So you could, for example, take a Bach cello suite and bring it up again because obviously I love that music. And you could do, you know, uh, they've done fractal dimension analysis of it and found patterns. You could look at the frequency arrangements and describe it mathematically. You can even convert it to bits and, you know, store it on a CD, on digital data, store it in your computer. There's a variety of ways that science applies to art. And of course, there's an art to science. Art being an aesthetic dimension, and uh, you will read many quotations from very famous scientists that say one of the ways you can recognize good science is that it's beautiful. A really good equation, like E equals MC squared, the deeper you study it, the more beautiful it gets. There's a deep, deep beauty to that equation. However, that equation, you're not allowed to just change it, or you're allowed to, but you won't be doing science. You can't just say mm, equals MC cubed and have it be science anymore because you're just saying it because you feel it. But likewise, you can't project science onto art. If you go to a sound therapist and you get really positive results, and you were to look at what they did, you will see that most of what they did was art. It was not science. They are feeling you. They're feeling your emotions. They're feeling the room. They're feeling their intuitive uh, dimensions, like a jazz musician. A jazz musician is not doing science. A jazz musician is doing art, improvising, they're following their feeling, they're following their gut feeling, they're watching the people dance and giving a little extra. Watch James Brown sing and dance, watch a video of him. That's not science, that's art. It's off the cuff. It's completely based on his feeling. However, when you are doing science, it's not based on your feelings. Of course, you can have feelings about the science, but the science itself is not art, and the art itself is not science. And so here we are, on this podcast, going to clearly distinguish what is art and what is science so that instead of trying to legitimize sound therapy through poor projections Of poorly understood science upon it. Instead we're going to look at which parts of it are art and which parts of it are science. And there's a harmony between the art and the science. And hopefully through the various episodes and the interviews that we'll do with some amazing people including artists, scientists, sound therapists, and probably a variety of other people that will have some relevant input, hopefully we will help bring to light that we don't have to mix up the art and the science, but instead we can harmonize them. And when we harmonize the beauty and the systematic, factual organization those two different realms, the objective and the subjective, through the harmony of them, then together we can bring this field of sound therapy to the forefront of medicine because it is truly one of the greatest gifts to humanity. And it's an honor to be sharing this with you. I thank you for listening and I really look forward to sharing the next podcast with you. Until next time, this is Thomas Orr Anderson on the art and science of sound healing.